Welcome to the Breaking Bread Podcast, conversations about how food inspires the people that inspire us. Join me, Michelle Jobin, and my co-host, Jasmine Baker, for our chats with some of the most influential and sometimes infamous chefs, producers, and hospitality icons. Together, we'll uncover the compelling stories of the people behind what we eat, drink, and enjoy. Here we go. Hi, it's Jasmine, and welcome back to Breaking Bread. Today, Michelle and I sat down with Carl Heinrich. Carl is a celebrated chef, restaurateur, and was Canada's first top chef winner. His team at Richmond Station are champions of sustainability and regenerative agriculture, farmers and producers, the food system, and the environment. But now they're turning their sights inward and looking at what they need to do for their team and to ultimately help the restaurant industry. To Carl, hospitality is all about good food, family, and taking care of each other. I think this is who he's always been, and perhaps why he has chosen to reinvest in his staff, agriculture, and community over the bright lights of fame or multiple restaurants. Here's Carl. So, Carl, we want to start, for those who don't know you, um, we want to help tell your story. Um, we'd love to hear first um, how you got started in this wild business. We're not going to be talking about making bread. I thought we were, oh. this is like a focaccia <laughs> or like tell me your secret. Re- okay. Hey, if you've got that tips, too, we are here yes. for that. <laughs> you know, I do, we do make, we make our own bread at home and uh, it's a very simple, like it's not sourdough or anything like that. It's a very simple, just loaf of bread. We make it every two days and, and it's great. It's mm-hmm. excellent. And I'll give you the secret recipe. Will okay. you give us the recipe? That's sure. amazing. We can post Perfect. it when we post the, can we, there can we go. share it with the world or is it only of just Of course you the, can. Oh, wow. I love it. I love Added it. value. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Okay. So tell us, Carl, how did you get started um, right from the beginning? What is, oh, what, tell us about baby Carl and how he got started in the food business. In the food bit. Well, okay. Well, it's a bit of a long story, but it, it yeah. started when I was really young. Um, you know, when I was growing up, uh, I, you know, my mother and father split up when I was quite young. And for a, quite a bit of time when I was a kid, uh, it was my mother and her three kids. And, uh, you know, I didn't have a father figure in the house. My mom would work, you know, a job or sometimes two jobs and uh, from a young age, my sisters and I got into the kitchen. And so, you know, I can remember when I was 12 years old, 13 years old, cooking my first meals, you know, little meatballs or, um, you know, macaroni and cheese or hot dogs or whatever. And uh, that's sort of where it all started. And I, I, you know, I got really passionate about my turn to make dinner and, uh, um, you know, it sort of just sort of went from there when I was uh, a little bit older, 14. Um, you know, again, because <laughs> childcare was a difficult thing, my mom sent us to, um, or sent me anyways, to Calgary. I had an aunt and uncle there who owned a few restaurants. And I would wash dishes or be a prep cook or whatever they put me to do. And I, you know what? I really liked it. I really liked the teamwork. I really liked the environment. I liked being in the kitchen. And uh, when I was uh, a little bit older than that, um, you know, I got into cooking a little bit more seriously. I started cooking more meals for my family at home. And I learned some really great lessons uh, at, at a young age, you know, namely, it, doesn't ma- it didn't matter how, how long it took to make a meal, whether it was 10 hours or, 
whether it was 30 minutes. If it was delicious, then people really enjoyed it. And if it wasn't delicious, then there'd be leftovers. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so th those were really key lessons for me. And so I, I started making food that I knew my family would like to eat. And I got excited about that. You know, I'd go to school and then I'd come home and, and start cooking dinner. And by the time I graduated high school, I was cooking, you know, five or six or sometimes seven nights a week for my family. And this was, uh, you know, my three siblings, uh, my mom and her husband at this point. And so those were, those are great lessons. And along the way, I started working in, in restaurants as well. And so uh, I got a, my first job on my own as a, as a dishwasher at 15 uh, at a diner in my hometown called Mom's Cafe. And uh, I was there for two years while I was in high school. And it was great. I mean, when you're, when you're a kid and you're making a few hundred bucks a week, you know, that's, that's, that goes a long ways. And so it was, it was nice for me because I could afford really nice things. You know, I had the great, I had the Sony Discman. <laughs> you know, I, I, had a, I had a stereo system in my, in my bedroom. Um, I had a nice bike. Um, and so it was nice to be, you know, to have a job. Um, but I, I, I really got into it at that point. Uh, there was a great uh, culinary program in my high school. Um, oh, and, great. Uh, and yeah. the chef instructor there uh, was my real first mentor. She was, she was incredible, Pia Carroll. And she really pushed me into considering uh, becoming a chef as a career. And uh, my parents were very supportive. Um, not, not everybody was. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I just went with it. I did some great externships uh, while I was still in high school. And uh, my first summer gig um, after high school was at a great restaurant in my hometown called Sue Carver House. Um, and it was, a, it was an unbelievable experience. And, um, you know, it was, you know, farm to table. It was only local food. There was no beef on the menu because there were no cattle farms around, um, predominantly seafood. And I just remember, you know, farmer after farmer, fisherman after fisherman coming to the back door. Hey, do you want to buy this, these mushrooms or these berries or this live octopus that I caught in my net? You know, it was, it was really um, great experience for me. And uh, after that, I rolled in the Stratford Chef School. And so at 18, I left home and I moved to Ontario. I moved to Stratford. Where did and you come from? Where did you grow up? I grew up in, well, it's a bit of a long story too, but, uh, you know, I was, I was born in Calgary. Okay. And uh, I spent a little time when I was a, a young kid in Montreal. And uh, when I was five years old, my, my mom and her partner moved up to the Northwest Territories. And so I was in Norman Wells, Northwest Territories wow. for about four years. Wow. And, uh, and after that, uh, we moved to Vancouver Island. And oh, uh, I, had a I had a lot of family there. And that's sort of where I consider home still. That's where my parents still live. And uh, that's really where I grew up. And uh, um, the little town of Souk is, is where, where I still call home um, on wow. Vancouver yeah, so beautiful little fishing town, um, you know, where it's, it's very temperate, <laughs> it rarely snows, it rarely freezes, rarely that gets too nice. hot, you know, there's kind of a temperate rainforest not too far away, so yeah, that's, that's home for me. But, uh, you know, mo moving to Stratford was a big change, uh, moving away from home and, and having no family or, or friends around, and really Stratford was, was the best culinary school in Canada at the time, and, and frankly, I, I believe it still is. Um, I mean, there's a lot of great competition out there now. 
Um, but it, it's a school for chefs, you know, it was a school mm. where chefs learned how to be chefs by chefs and learn accounting by accountants and uh, learn restaurant design by restaurant designers. And uh, the student teacher ratio was very intimate and the uh, uh, faculty were all really incredible and had a great, great, great experience at the Stratford Chef School. And halfway through uh, my first year, I had, a, I had a friend growing up in high school who was uh, uh, a tap dancer, a really incredible dancer. And he was in a company in New York City. And he said, well, why don't you just come stay with me for a couple months? And so I, you know, I went to the school administrator and said, hey, I've got a friend, New York City. I want to go stage for Daniel Blute. Um, and she said, great, where do you want to go? So I went down and I staged for a couple of months at uh, Cafe Boulud and uh, DB Bistro Moderne. And um, I mean, I was still 19. I was 19 at this wow. point. Not even though I was still 18. Um, and I, I, I knew I had to go. I knew I knew I had to be there. And so I graduated culinary school and uh, I packed my bags. And when I was 19, I, I moved to New York. And uh, I was there for about four years, and I, I worked at uh, at the bistro, at DB Bistro Modern, and I, I loved it. It was it was a really great learning environment for for a young chef. And I, you know, I still to this day I, I'll say that anybody, and any young cook that wants to learn, you know, <laughs> how to cook, really how to cook, they got to you got to travel. Yeah. Um, but New York is a great place for that. You know, it's a very much a it's a busy city. Um, the restaurants are, they have to be busy. I mean, everything's so expensive. Your restaurant has to be busy and uh, you really learn how to put food on the plate. You know, there's a big difference between a super fine dining restaurant that is, you know, very, very elegant, but you're cooking for 10 or 20 people a night. I mean, you're not, as a young cook, you're not learning how to cook at that point. You need to, you need to hone your skills. And that comes with cutting lots of vegetables, with turning lots of artichokes, with, with, peeling lots of onions with making lots of different sauces and you do that in a really busy environment and uh, and I, I really enjoyed it I thrived in, in that environment and uh, after about four years of that um, I was I was 23 and I was uh, a sous chef at, at that restaurant at this point and I was I was too young I think mentally mm -hmm. to to be to have that responsibility um, you know, I, I could cook and, and I could, I could put food on the plate and I was, I was really enjoying that, but there was, there's a lot of leadership, um, things that you don't know, you know, I, from a maturity standpoint, um, I wasn't ready to be a leader. And so, um, I knew it was time for me to go get some other experiences. And, and I went and staged in France after that. Um, it was, wow. that was kind of fun. You know, I spent, uh, two months in France in some, some great Michelin restaurants and some great bistros. And, uh, you know, I got to stage at uh, Louis Quinze in, in, in Monaco with Alain Ducasse. Wow. wow. And, uh, you know, um, some other three stars and some one stars and some, and, and I really learned a lot about food and that, I mean, the, the, the way they appreciate ingredients and just food as a culture in France is completely different. It, different. it, it blew me away. And I really learned at that point that fine dining wasn't really my, my passion. Mm. Um, you know, I was, I remember being in the kitchen in, in, in Monaco and, uh, 
you know, my job was to pick out the finest, tiniest pieces of arugula out of this case of arugula, which was the most beautiful arugula I'd ever seen in my life. And, um, you know, I picked out the 50 best leaves of arugula for this little cocktail canopy that they had on their menu. And the rest of it went in the garbage. <laughs> Whoa. No. And, uh, yeah. and I looked at that and I said, oh. I can't, I can't. I, I can't. I mean, somebody created this seed, somebody planted this lettuce, somebody harvested this lettuce. And if you know anything about arugula, you gotta, you gotta put a net over it so a flea beetle doesn't get it. And just the, the amount of love and passion that went into this food and then 95% of it just wasn't good enough. I, you know, I, 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 I took it for what it was. And you know, it was the same with the most beautiful shrimp or the most beautiful wild turbo. You know, you, you get your two by two inch perfect square of, of wild turbo and the rest is not even for staff. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so I think there's a place for that in the world. And there's a place for that when you can charge 300 euro for a meal. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not, that wasn't my place. And so I, yeah. I appreciated that experience. And, I, and I, I really did learn a lot in that environment. And I think for me, what I really learned was going back to my roots and going back to cooking for my family, which was just make delicious food. Yeah. and start with delicious ingredients. And so I, I moved back to Canada and uh, I moved to Vancouver at that point. Um, Daniel Baloud was opening a, a restaurant in Vancouver and I, I joined the team there as one of the sous chefs. And I worked with Dale McKay and Stefan Estelle and Trevor Bird and at, at Lumiere and DB Bistro there. Uh, and it was, you know, it was a great quality of life. I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I was sailing once a week. I was able to walk to work. I lived in Kitsilano. I could walk to the beach. Uh, wow. Um, yeah, it was, it was great. Um, and uh, after about a year, it was, it was just time for another change. I needed, okay. to, I needed to learn some more. I needed to be in an environment. I mean, I was still 24 at this point. And so I needed to still learn from people who were better than me. And, and to, you know, as a, as a leader, as a sous chef in, in this kitchen, um, I was too young to be put in the role where I was only mentoring and not learning anymore. And so mm. I, I packed my bags and I moved to Toronto and this was in 2010, 2009, sorry. Okay. And, uh, and here we are, I've been here ever since. Wow. wow. I, I We're have happy to ask, that you're here. Yeah, thanks for coming. I mean, you seem to have yeah, yeah. really beautiful, glamorous um, places to come and be with us, so <laughs> thank you. Um, I wanna ask, I wanna go back to that story um, that you told us about the arugula. Um, you know, so, you know, because we know you, we know that you have a deep respect for food and where it comes from and how it's grown and the people who, um, who do that. Has that always been who you are or like, how, how did you come about that? Is that family? Is that teachers? Um, or, or was it just innate? Well, growing up, we didn't have a lot of, um, money, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. we were pretty poor. I wouldn't say poor. We didn't, we didn't have a lot of money. And so, uh, you know, grocery shopping was um, not always easy. And yeah. putting food on the table was um, often very creative. Mm-hmm. And food should not be taken for granted, I, I don't believe. I yeah. think that certainly food is a right and people should have, people have a right to delicious and, and nutritious food. 
as a basic human right. I fully believe in that. Um, but I think that far too often as chefs, we take food for granted. And, you know, we live in an environment where we can order anything we want from anybody want any time of the year. If you want to put a tomato pasta on the menu in January, go for it. You can. If you want to put mahi-mahi on your menu in February, go for it. You can. If you want to, you know what I mean? And, and I've always found that a little disingenuous. Mm. Um, you know, I've, I've been to Mexico and I know what an avocado should taste like. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I have yet to taste one in, in Canada that tastes that good. Yeah. And um, I think for me, the focus has always been on finding the best ingredients that, that I can. And they don't necessarily have to be more expensive. The same thing is with truffles. I mean, I've been, I've been to France and I know what a truffle should taste like. And it's rare that you find one of those here in Canada. And you have to know the right people and you have to know the source. You have to know where they're coming mm -hmm. from. And if you know those importers, then you have a good chance of that for sure. But, you know, just to circle back to your question there, if you know the person that's growing the food or you know where those ingredients are coming from, you've been to the farm and you stepped in that dirt and you've met those animals, you just have a much better chance of finding quality ingredients. And from a philosophy point of view, cook it or don't cook it and put it on the plate. Start with the right ingredients and the food is always going to taste better. And maybe that's naive, um, but I've been cooking that way for, since I've been in Toronto, mostly. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's served us well, really far, uh, really well so far. Um, and, and I'll never go back to not caring about the provenance of ingredients. I think you set up beautifully what we want to talk about is that after you came back to Toronto in 2012, you opened your restaurant, Richmond Station. Um, and what you've just described is basically the philosophy behind the food there. Um, it's also known for being a very authentic hospitality experience and you're really invested in the, the team culture there. Um, what do you think is so unique about the experience at R Richmond Station? <laughs> 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 That's a tough question to answer. I mean, you'd probably answer that better than me. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Give it know, a go. Uh, you know, I, I'd like to say that it's just the, the staff that we have. I think we, we, we focus on, on, on bringing people onto the team that, that really care. And, um, you know, you can teach anybody how to open a bottle of wine. You can teach anybody how to cut a carrot or cook a steak um, or, or to wash uh, dishes. But you can't teach somebody how to care about those things and to to want to get better every day. Mm -hmm. And so since, you know, from day one, we, Ryan and, 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 uh, and myself and our, you know, our entire upper, upper management group, we've always focused on finding people that really care and and focusing on hospitality and really taking care of people you know it, it, opening richmond station came just on the heels of of winning top chef canada and so there was already a buzz for richmond station we opened to uh, high expectations for food mm. um, and and we were pretty confident in our ability to put delicious food on a plate and what we what we provided was really just more than that it was just more than putting delicious food on the plate, you know? And, and it wasn't like we, 
and still isn't like we have the most glamorous dining room. It's, it's really not. Um, like we have, we have a drop ceiling, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, we were, Ryan and I were two broke cooks and, and we didn't have a lot of money to open this restaurant, but we knew how we wanted to treat our staff. We knew how we wanted to treat our customers. We knew the experience that we wanted to provide. We knew that it was going to be a lot of work to get all those things together. Um, and we knew that we had to start with integrity and we knew we had to start with passion. We knew we had to start with getting the right people on the bus and that's what we started doing. And we learned a lot of great lessons. I mean, there was, it's not easy, <laughs> you know, it, it, and uh, I don't, I don't want to say that we were naive, but certainly it's, it's a lot more than just putting food on the plate and saying hi to people. Um, you know, I learned a lot of lessons about plumbing and electric, electrical work. <laughs> HVAC is a big yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and still is, you know, you, uh, when you own a, when you own a business here, you have to be a handy person, right? Um, yeah. So there was a lot of great lessons there. And, and those are, those are really important, but something that uh, one of my mentors taught me at a young age um, was that it takes energy to lead. And, you know, um, morale is a top down thing. And if you want your staff to embody excellence and great hospitality, you have to lead with those things. And you have to come to work excited to be there. And you have to, you know, not, not right now, but you know, you shake everybody's hand when you come in, you say, Hey, how are you? And you start with your team. And that, that goes to the customer and not just to the customer that goes to everybody that walks into the dining room, whether it be, you know, a, a farmer delivering a, a case of eggs or a side of beef or, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the landlord when they come to get their rent check or, you know, certainly the staff, um, and how we treat each other, um, and certainly the customers. And so um, we really just focus on, on taking care of people. And when, when somebody comes into the restaurant or you know, makes a reservation and, and uh, a customer, they come, in, they come in, they sit down, and you, know, you provide the venue, get them some water, some drinks, excellent food, check in on them, how's everything going, here's your bill. That's all service. I mean, that's what people should expect from a restaurant experience. And when you can provide something that is beyond that, that's hospitality. And, and Danny Meyer, I mean, that's just taking a page right out of Danny Meyer's book, literally. Mm. Um, if you can focus on the hospitality and get people something that is more than just the, the par service level, that's what they'll remember. And so when we opened, we, we knew that the food, <laughs> we, we were pretty sure the food was going to be great. We had a stellar team. We had excellent ingredients. Um, we've been working with these farmers for a long time. And, um, and we were really excited about putting food on the menu. Um, but what we got, what our restaurant got in our reviews that we, we didn't really expect was, you know, hey, yeah, the food was great, but the service was so friendly and knowledgeable. Yeah. And time and again, that was that was the common denominator there. And, and for what it's worth, that really has, has saved us in so many instances because the food isn't always perfect. Um, you know, as much as we try very hard, it's not always perfect and sometimes we miss the mark and, and the service will be there to, to catch that experience and, and vice versa. You know, sometimes I, you know, maybe a guest is not greeted for the first 10 minutes, but the food blows them away. So it's really, it's, it's, it's an entire team coming together to provide an experience 
Um, and you know, I, I don't believe that that should be considered authentic. I think that's us doing our job. We're professionals mm -hmm. and that's our job. And we take our job very seriously. But it's incredibly genuine. You know, that's, that's one of the first, uh, I think, notions I had when visiting Richmond Station for the first time and have every time since is this genuine hospitality that, you know, everyone is, is truly invested in the experience that you're going to have there. And that's everyone from the person who greets you to the service, to the food. Everybody's just really, really cares about your hospitality experience. And it feels like hospitality is a very healthy, um, I don't, I'm probably going to use the wrong, wrong word for this, but it's almost like a healthy ecosystem. Because for me, it feels like you give that hospitality to each other just as much as you give it to the guests. You know, it's like you're all looking after each other. So therefore the guests are also really well looked after. Oh, um, yeah. I want, I want to ask, um, I've, you know, had the opportunity to work with Carl on a, a couple different things and, and had the opportunity for, um, to enjoy staff meal. And, and one of the things that, that you do so beautifully all the time is, is ensuring that there's, you know, there's staff meal. And, and I remember hearing a story, I'm going to put you a bit on the spot of this one, but, um, I remember hearing a story about how, when you first opened the, what the first staff meal was with Richmond station. And I believe it was Thanksgiving. Can you tell us a bit about that? <laughs> We've had a few epic staff meals, uh, certainly, um, you know, when we, when we do events, especially at the new farm, um, mm -hmm. we always make sure there's a great staff meal, you know, um, there's been, there's been a few really excellent standouts. That, that first one was really fun. Uh, we, we opened in 2012, right after Thanksgiving. So we're almost eight years old mm. and, uh, uh, yeah, it was it was a really interesting time, and my my family was here from from Souk, BC, and Julia's parent, my wife's parents were there hammering nails, and our friends and uh, everybody was just there to get the place ready to go for for when we opened. And you know, Thanksgiving just sort of came up on us, and we yeah we had a big we pushed all the tables together into the center of the dining room and we had a big feast. And that was the first meal that we served at Richmond station. That's oh, right. Part of that. You know, it reminds me a lot of, <laughs> of the last meal that we served uh, before we closed down for COVID. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, we had, we had a, uh, you know, our, our entire management team and a few other staff in to, you know, it was a very somber day, a very bittersweet day um, to close up the, the restaurant. And, um, when, when there were so many questions in the air and, and everybody was just so excellent. They, you know, showed up and we worked as a team and, uh, you know, we packed food away, we preserved, we pickled, we dried, we, we cleaned. And, you know, at the end of the day, we took all the food that, not all of it, I mean, there was, there was quite a bit of food that was gonna be, um, not able to be preserved and so we gave a lot of it away to community food centers canada but we also had a really epic meal <laughs> that 15 of us or so at the end of the day and you know uh drank all of the wine that uh, was already open <laughs> <laughs> perfect and um you know i think for us it's it's what it's all about i mean it's it's about good food and it's about it's about family and it's about taking care of each other and um, 
And if you don't do those things, if it doesn't start, if your decisions don't start with that mentality, that I just don't believe this is the right industry mm. for you. I think that this is, this is an industry based on hospitality and based on service and based on family. And we've started with that since day one, we started with that. And we're gonna continue to make decisions um, in that way. And now here's a little bit on one of our partners. Having Carl on the podcast was a great pleasure for us. We've always been big fans of his, his food, his restaurant, and everything he stands for, which is why I'm so excited to share that Richmond Station and my company, Event Management, have joined forces to provide full-service virtual event solutions to our clients. Together, we'll take care of everything from curated experiences, virtual event production, synchronized safe delivery, gorgeous food and beverage, cooking classes, full service planning logistics, and everything in between. We're bringing the hospitality to you and lighting up the virtual stage. Head to richmondstation.ca for more information. You touched on a couple of things that we, we also want to talk to you about, but seeing as you were just talking about March, and COVID, uh, here we are six months later, I think, are we six mm -hmm. months? I have lost track yeah. at this point. So, you know, the pandemic hit here in Ontario, we had a state of emergency declared. Um, you know, some restaurants did a lot of pivoting uh, and tried to serve their customers any way that they could and, and keep, retain some employees. So can you talk about what that was like you guys took your time a little bit and reopened slowly can, so can you tell us what was like after that last day and that last meal where did you go from there that was a really incredible week leading up to that close down mm -hmm. um you know i think about it all the time it, it was i mean it was really challenging it was it was an incredible challenge for for ryan and i as as the business owners um but also for the entire team with just a lot of uncertainty hanging in the air about are we safe? Um, are we safe coming to work? Um, what, what, what does my employment look like? And, um, you know, we made sure that we were making every decision starting with safety and we, we tried to keep excellent communication with our team and we made the, the best decision every moment and leading up to when we closed on March 16th, uh, it was, it was constant communication with, with, you know, with Ryan and Jen and Hayden and I, um, and our, sorry, our, our core management team. And, um, you know, then the next level of management and then the rest of the staff and just constantly updating. This is what's happening. This is our plan. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, posting on social media, this is what's happening. This is our plan. <laughs> Um, but it, it, it was a really wild week, you know, the, the Wednesday before, so five days before we closed, you know, I was driving to Niagara to go see a, a, a fruit farmer with Hayden. Um, we were going to look at some, some pears <laughs> and some peach as trees, you do. Yeah. as you do, um, yeah. you know, and just sort of get some plans for, you know, the, the growing season ahead. And uh, my wife, Julia, calls me on the phone on the way down. She says, you know, I was planning to go to the science center today with my, with my kids. I, uh, I've got two kids. And, uh, you know, I'm planning to go, but I don't know. Is it safe to go to the science center? And I thought about it for a second. I hadn't really thought about it. 
Is it safe to go to the science center? Probably. Why wouldn't it? Oh, right, COVID. Okay, well, I, I guess so. I don't know. Wear a mask? I don't know. And that was the Wednesday, right? I mean, yeah. that night, um, what happened that night? The NBA canceled the rest of its season. Uh, Tom Hanks got infected with COVID. Uh, the world kind of went into shock. And then the next day, it was declared a pandemic. And, um, you know, it was just, it was a really incredible time. I mean, we were, we, we had prepared thousands and thousands of portions of food to go to the Green Living Show that weekend. And right. that was supposed to start, we were loading in on Friday. And on Thursday, we called it off. And so we were stuck with an enormous amount of food. Um, and so it was just, it was a lot. It was, it was a lot all at the same time. So on Thursday, we said, okay, we're, we got to pull out of the Green Living Show. You know, obviously we can't go to this giant event. Um, and then, you know, we sent an email to the entire staff. This is what we know. This is what we're doing. And then Friday, same thing. This is what we know. This is what we're doing. And then Friday, customer reservations just completely started to drop off. Same with Saturday. Um, Sunday, again, you know, we put space between the tables. Mm -hmm. Staff wore masks. We put in hand sanitizing stations around the restaurant. And, uh, you know, on Monday, we called off our entire staff and we just went in with the salaried management group. And, uh, you know, we opened for lunch, not really knowing. We, you know, we were waiting to, to get guidance um, from, mm -hmm. from the premier and from the prime minister. And so, you know, we opened for lunch for, I don't know, I think we might've served 10 people on, on that Monday lunch. And we all watched the, um, uh, we all watched Doug Ford uh, come on air and, and talk about how they weren't going into emergency shutdown, how they were gonna stay open for St. Patrick's Day, which is the next day. And we just looked at each other and said, this is dumb. <laughs> Shut it down, guys. Yeah, yeah, and, read and the room. <laughs> and sure, yeah, sure enough, um, I think I think Toronto followed four hours later. John Tory said, "Get, get a life, guys. Shut it down." <laughs> you know, yeah, so yeah. so we shut it. We shut it down, and uh, you know, we had an epic staff meal that night, and uh, and um, and then we just took a break. I mean, we're not a we we are now, but we weren't a, a takeout restaurant. We were mm -hmm. we were a dine-in only, and, mm -hmm. and we did events as well, but um, we were dine-in only, and we couldn't. We were we were busy. Um, we couldn't do takeout. We, mm -hmm. Our kitchen could not handle that capacity. And for the most part, our food wasn't takeout friendly. So we, you know, we looked at that option and said, wow, that seems like a lot of work to try to create a brand new business model right now, especially when we don't know if it's safe to come yeah. to work. Yeah. Um, there, we didn't know anything about this virus. So, you know, for our staff and for our families, we, we shut it down. And, and we stayed that way until... Uh, until June. I mean, we were planning on shutting down for three weeks. Uh, we thought mm -hmm. we were going to be back mid-April. We thought yeah. we were, and, and mid-April came around, we said, okay, we'll be back in March, in, in, in May, sorry. Uh, and then, you know, May kind of came and went, and we were coming into June, and it was like, well, okay, what are we doing? What are we doing now? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's really, it's been really nice having the family time. It's been really nice, uh, you know, being on the on the you know Canada Emergency um, Benefit System, but uh, you know eventually we have to we have to get back to work here. Um, you know we're we're pretty fortunate as a business we we didn't have any debt. Uh, all of our debt was paid off, 
And that's uh, good. You know, we Incredible. knew exactly what our what our losses were to close the restaurant every mm -hmm. month, and that was a big part of the weekend before we closed, just sort of figuring out, okay, what is this going to cost us? Mm -hmm. And and we knew what it was going to cost, and we knew we had enough money to do that, and so it was it was the right business decision at the time, but. You know, it really became clear in May that uh, we didn't know what the status was or when we were going to reopen or how that was all going to happen. And at the same time, there was a wage subsidy program from the federal government. And so bringing staff back, uh, considering that our revenue was down 100% at that point, you know, bringing staff back to work didn't really cost us a lot of money um, because a lot of their wages were subsidized. And so, you know, we could afford to bring our, some of our team back and open up for takeout and delivery only and, and do it in a way that we didn't lose money. Um, all of it has been a learning experience. Our business model is completely shattered um, and it changes constantly. It's, and it's gonna continue to change constantly. I can't, I can't look at you, the two of you right now and say, I know what our business is gonna look like at the end of October. I just don't, mm -hmm. that's a month yeah. away. I don't yeah. know what it's going to look like in November. I certainly don't know what it's going to look like in January. And it's really hard for the business, but it's really incredibly hard for the staff. Yeah. It's so hard not knowing the future of your employment. And as we continue to go into this year, uh, the wage subsidy program shrinks and shrinks um, because the emphasis is on businesses getting back and mm -hmm. the economy growing. And that was fine but this week we're seeing caseloads in Ontario go up and up and our business shrink and shrink with the wage subsidy program. And so I just, it's, it guts me. I mean, when we closed in, in March, we laid every, every we laid ourselves off, we laid mm -hmm. every single person off and we had to call. Well, I, it was the hardest day of my life. I had to call 68 people and say, sorry. Yeah. And Heartbreaking. it's, it's sucked. Mm -hmm. And um, what really sucked about it what was really hard about it was that our staff have no benefits because they're paid in cash. Yeah. Right. So, and, and not, not entirely in cash, but for everybody on our staff who's not salary, uh, they get a portion of tips and uh, or got a portion of tips and um, when you get your income in cash and tips that income is uninsured yeah. which means that when you go and apply for ei it, it, it's like it wasn't even there and so you know and not just for our service staff for our entire team we we had a, a great tip sharing system in our restaurant uh, that worked really, really well for us, and uh, which meant that uh, for our for our cooks and for our dishwashers and for our hosts and for our bartenders and for our support staff, everybody had a portion of those tips that came in. But it also means that if those employees are unemployed through no fault of their own, such as COVID, yeah, <laughs> um, they're in, they're entitled to a lot less than what they should be entitled to because that money was in cash. So that really, you know, it really hit hard for us. Yeah. And we said, you know, this is broken. This, this, the system is broken. Yeah. Yeah. This is our, our staff are professionals. So, I mean, I, we, 
you know, the three of us just chatted about that. Our staff are professionals. They genuinely care. They're, they're pros. Yeah. Um, but now they could be unemployed and I can't do anything. For them. So you we did said, do, you did do something. Well, but we should have done it years ago. Right. We should have gotten rid of tips years ago. But I mean, it, I mean, that, they would have been in a much better spot now. To your credit, this is just, this is an industry wide issue and you taking this step is a big one. So can you, can you tell us about that? Uh, the hospitality included policy at a restaurant? It, when we opened our patio in June, uh, <laughs> which is wild because we now have a patio on the street, on Richmond street. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it's, it's really helped our business and, and it's, the amount of support that we've had from our from our community, from our customers, um, from the media, from the city of Toronto giving us a patio, from the federal government uh, with uh, with uh, you know red subsidies and wage subsidies, it's it's the only reason we're open right now. Um, our business is just completely decimated as far as sales go. We lose, we've lost over two million dollars in revenue in this year alone, year over year. And it goes up by about $10,000 every day. So as a business model, it's just broken. And so we looked at this and we said, well, it's kind of like we're starting a new business, <laughs> really. Yeah. Um, yeah. And let's just run the business how, how we want to. Let's do the things that we should have done years ago. And so not just getting rid of tipping. I mean, we, we changed a few things about our business. We did a lot of research and implemented an anti-racism policy on our team and uh, everybody on our team went through a training session and we should have done that years ago. We switched all of our beef and pork um, buying to regenerative organic and we should have done that years ago. Um, I mean, it's, it's tough right now because we're in the middle of this pandemic, but I feel like leading up to this, there was a lot of discussion about climate change. There was a lot of discussion about how we can make better choices for our planet. And that's kind of taken a back seat right now, unfortunately, but mm -hmm. you know, come on guys, California is on fire. Yep. BC is about to be on fire. People are dying. This is forest fires like we've never seen, but this happened, this happened in Australia not that long ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Floods are gonna follow. Hurricanes are stronger than they've ever been. Climate change is a real thing mm -hmm. and like it or not like it, restaurants are a big contributor to the problem. Um, and, and, you know, just, just specifically conventional meat. Our farmland, for the most part in North America, looks like fields and fields and fields and millions of acres of corn and soy and wheat. And um, all of this is conventionally farmed. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, you know, specifically the corn, specifically the soy, goes into livestock feed. Um, and it's, we're destroying our planet. Our, our, our soil is, is washing away in these floods, in the, in the torrential rains. Um, it's blowing away in the wind because there's no life in it anymore because mm -hmm. we poison it constantly. And as a chef who buys an enormous amount of food because we have a busy restaurant, come on, we have a responsibility now. So let's, let's, let's 
let's put our money where our mouth is and, and start making better buying decisions. So we made that change as well. So we, we only buy regenerative organic beef and pork. Yeah. That is incredible. I want to go, um, I want to talk a little bit about your work with the new farm. Um, in uh, 2015, you started growing your own food at the new farm. So this was um, a big investment in, in your restaurant. So at a time where you probably could have expanded your restaurant or expanded your business and gone in a different direction, you decided to invest in growing your own food. Can you share some of that decision and, and that project with us? We've been, we've been very fortunate since day one that we opened our business. Um, we've, been, we've been busy and uh, it's really allowed us to make great decisions. It's allowed us to hire staff and pay them properly. And it's allowed us to fix things when, when they're broken and you know, invest in better systems when it's necessary. And uh, certainly when you have a, a successful restaurant, the next question is, okay, when are you opening another one? And um, you know, for everybody out there that doesn't know this, restaurants are hard work. And uh, for Ryan and I, certainly we could have. Uh, we could have certainly found a new lease and, and expanded our team and taken on more. Um, but our families were also growing. Uh, in 2015, I got married on the new farm. And Ryan, by this point, had already had a couple of kids. And, um, and, and Julie and I had wanted kids of our own. And we said, well, we could expand our business and start working more and make more money, but you know what? We, we're making money and our staff are happy. And finally, we're almost looking at some more life balance. So um, let's just keep going there. And at the same time, um, you know, Richmond Station was kind of known as a meat restaurant and not because we were a meat restaurant, but because we, we only bought whole animals. So we only buy um, whole livestock directly from people that produce it. So whole cows, whole pigs, whole chickens, whole ducks, whole fish. We don't buy steaks. We don't buy duck fat. We don't buy, um, you know, sides of bacon. Uh, we, buy, we buy whole pigs and make our own bacon. When you run out of bacon, you buy another pig. Or you take bacon off the menu. And uh, we've, we've operated like that since day one. But because of this, um, we've been known, we were known as this meat restaurant. And we have a fantastic charcuterie program, which you need to when you buy an entire pig yes. a week. <laughs> yep. Um, and at the same time, I mean, we knew a lot about, a lot about beef. I could tell you a lot about uh, where the livestock was raised, the food that it ate, how old it was at slaughter, the breed, everything. And um, I couldn't say the same for vegetables. Honestly, I, I couldn't. I couldn't tell you the right uh, soil conditions to grow medium-sized yellow tomatoes. Uh, I couldn't tell you why some things were in a, in a hoop house and why some things were in a field. I couldn't tell you the difference between determinate and indeterminate. I couldn't tell you why some things worked in some soil and some things didn't. And, and I think as somebody who buys an enormous amount of food, that was a failure on my part. I, I need to know these things. Uh, and at the same time, uh, you know, Julie and I got married on the farm in 2015 and we looked at each other the day after and said, can we just move here? <laughs> <laughs> And so, you know, I, I, I look at it as kind of a bit of a sabbatical at the same time. Um, I, I needed a bit of a break because it was, you know, it was a lot of work. 
running that restaurant for as long as we did. And in 2017, um, Hayden, our, our chef de cuisine, who had been with us at that restaurant since day one, and frankly, since before that, um, was also ready to take on more respons responsibility in the kitchen. And me being there was stopping him from doing that. And so Julie and I and our son, Theo, moved up to Creemore for the summer. And for four months, I didn't work a service in the kitchen, but I, I grew food. And uh, it was a really incredible experience for us as a family, uh, for me personally, and certainly as on my journey as a chef. And since then, uh, every menu at Richmond Station has become more plant-based and more organic. And Brett and Gillian, the owners of the new farm, have become incredible, uh, important mentors in my life. Um, you know, talk about making decisions with integrity. I mean, they, they started farming because they bought a piece of land and they moved up there and well, what are we gonna do? Cause we can't get a job here in this small town, but we've got this land, why don't we farm? Well, we have to farm organically, <laughs> you know, but that's really hard to do. And they lost money year over year. Um, but they focused on what was important to them. And they focused on growing their business based around things that they knew were right, things that they knew were delicious, systems that they knew made the world a better place. And years later, fast forward, their farm is completely paid off. They're completely debt-free. They're making money. They go on vacation every year with their family. Um, and they're very successful. But it didn't start because they focused on the balance sheet. They started by focusing on decisions made with integrity. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, it's really helped shape a lot of the decisions we make at Richmond Station now. Um, I mean, we, we always try to be best in class as, a, as an employer and as a restaurant. Um, but they made it very clear that, hey, you know, <laughs> Any business can operate like this because you think, you think owning a restaurant and stuff, try owning a farm. Yeah. Your list never gets shorter. Your days never get shorter. If you break it down to what you're making on an hourly wage, it's embarrassing. It's, it is, it is hard work mm -hmm. and, yeah. and, and defeating work. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I remember my, my carrot patch in the field, you know, it's like, plant the carrot seeds and carrots take nine days to germinate. And so by the time the carrot sprouts come up, the weeds had completely taken over. So on your hands and knees for an entire day, um, weeding a patch of carrots. And then when carrots finally do come up, their leaves are very thin. And so they don't block out the weeds. And so the weeds just keep coming. <laughs> yeah. So I had to weed that carrot patch 10 times on my hands and <laughs> knees for what carrots that were delicious, but they weren't beautiful. <laughs> like they were, they were okay carrots. And I, that was a really important lesson for me. It's like, well, great. A, next year, I'm never, I'm not, I'm, A, I'm never going to grow carrots again. Um, this is a complete waste of time. There are people that do this way better than me. Um, and I can get beautiful organic carrots from Cookstown Greens. Um, so we'll just do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll plant, we'll plant crops that are, are a little bit, easier to grow you know squash is a good example of that it requires very little weeding it works well on that soil you got to be careful with the with the watering of them because they take a lot of water they're very susceptible to frost um, mm -hmm. but there are a lot of great lessons learned there and so the next year we 
we did the same garden again, but we hired a gardener. I didn't do it myself. And, um, and uh, Guillermo, who was, was on our team for, uh, at this point, four years and had spent uh, a year after his employment with us woofing. So, uh, you know, going around to organic farms in Europe with his wife and working on those farms, came back to Ontario and wanted to be a farmer. So we said, hey, you know, we've got a gig for you. So for the next two years, Guillermo was our resident farmer. So we, as a small restaurant in downtown Toronto, employed two full-time butchers and a full-time gardener um, and a full-time bread baker. <laughs> and it, it was, it's the program that we always wanted, right? And so yeah. we, we learned a lot with that system, um, you know, how to, how to pick the right crops, um, when to start seedlings, when to transplant, which crops work really well for our menu, um, you know, when that food is being harvested, where does it go? Because it's an enormous amount of produce that you've got to mm. figure out what to do with. So that needs to be a plan. Um, and you know what? 2020 was supposed to be an excellent year. <laughs> the plan was insane. The seeds were already purchased. We were ready to go. And then COVID hit. And so we, we ditched the garden for 2020 because we didn't know, even if we planted the food, what we were going to do with it all. But, um, yeah. you know, we'll be back in 2021 with the garden. Mm-hmm. We hope so. Yeah. Sure. We're missing it. It sounds like a pretty magical place as well. Yeah. I well, have yet to visit the new farm, so but I know Jasmine's been there. So the events that we get to throw at the new farm are really incredible. Incredible. Um, what you know, every single one is one of a kind. We've done weddings up there. We've done small gatherings. Jasmine, uh, we had the pleasure of working with you on the new feast in 2019, and magical. that was one of the highlights of my entire cooking career. It was it was really ma- magical. Is a great way to put it. It was an excellent, incredible event. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that environment really lends itself to incredible events and having the food grown right there and the incredible kitchen that they have there. Um, you know, we can create really, you know, important, incredible meals and dining experiences and events. And so, you know, that that will hopefully be a, a big part of our business again. And, you know, when we can when we can get back to the event side of things, I know you're probably chomping at the bit, too. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <sighs> sure are. Sure are. Yeah. Man, this is I, I I Carl, we can't thank you enough for sharing all of this with us. It's um so moving and so inspiring to hear your story and and, and really the the incredible work uh that you do for the community, for the environment, for farmers, for agriculture, for education. It's um it's really inspiring. Uh yeah. I, I'm I'm a bit gobsmacked. I'm bit, it, this has been a bit emotional to hear, yeah. um, but just so appreciate you taking us through all of this. One of the reasons we wanted to speak to you so much is because that we both feel, you know, the the topic uh, or the the concept of integrity has come up in our conversation today. And Jasmine and I both believe that you make decisions with integrity and follow through on that all the time and you know the past six months has been a challenging one for for everyone certainly the restaurant industry and we really appreciate you know how much you've kept the idea of taking care of each other in mind whether it's your staff or your guests 
So that was a big, big, big reason why we wanted to talk to you. Thanks, Michelle. And thanks for, uh, you know, taking the initiative with this work. I think what you're doing here is, is important and uh, I know our industry appreciates it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So we have a couple of, uh, so we have a fun thing we want to ask you. Um, and, and then we want to ask, we want to remind everybody how they can find you. So first, yes. um, what is your go-to comfort food? What is the thing that you like to eat on your day off? So um, I'll give you, there's no wrong answer. There's no wrong answer. Um, you know, Afram, Afram, I said <laughs> chicken fingers and Gatorade. Gatorade. Yeah, he's like, when Toronto life isn't looking, cool, chicken fingers yeah. and Gatorade. <laughs> It doesn't have to go there, but the sky's the limit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty simple guy, I'll be honest with you. Um, the burger buns, you know, we make our burger buns at Richmond Station fresh every morning. Oh, and they come out of the oven, and after they've sat for about 15 minutes, and they're, they're warm, still warm, but not too warm, and yeah. break it open, and shove an enormous piece of butter inside and then close it back up and then eat it like that. I, I uh, There's nothing like really you know, good Becky, fresh fat and butter. We, we yeah. want to know what time, uh, what <laughs> optimal time to stop by Richmond there. Station for warm burger buns. Well, these days it's about five o'clock, um, okay. you know, maybe four o'clock, depending on how quickly it proofs. But uh, that, is, oh. that is the optimal time. And, you know, not every bun is, is perfect and so there's always going to be one or two that just we can't serve so yeah. we hey we're with. happy to take those off your hands I'll <laughs> your rejects. We, we, we want to support <laughs> you and and your business um so also can you remind uh our listeners where is richmond station in toronto and your website and your instagram handle oh uh, thank you uh so richmond station is uh located right downtown so a block away from the eaton center we're at one richmond street west we look on our front door looks onto the back door of Saks Fifth Avenue. So we're right on Richmond Street, just west of Young. Very and um, what's our what's our uh, Instagram? It's at Richmond Station. I'm pretty sure. It is. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and we've got a patio. I mean, our dining room is is still open. I mean, we we're going to continue to follow Toronto Public Health here and. Um, and stay safe and uh, our staff is all wearing masks and we've got extra hand sinks and sanitizer set up and um, you know we're looking forward to seeing you and we can still enjoy your food via takeout as well right you bet perfect amazing carl thank you so much for being with us today thank you carl Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, that's it for the show. Thank you so much for joining us. We will be back again soon with another great guest to talk about delicious things. But until then, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so at breakingbreadtalkingfood at gmail.com.